Today we're wrapping up our series on the Gospel of John, and uh, even though we're not finishing the book, we're finishing chapter 4, we're stopping our series where it is for now. Um, So, let's just get started. I have this friend in Arkansas who's one of my best friends, uh, and he kind of likes to do random things just to see how different people in life will react. Um, Some people that he knows and some people that he doesn't. And so he started doing this thing a few years ago where, um, how many know what a trust fall is? Have you ever done trust fall? Um, And so if you're not familiar with it, it's, you know, you kind of, usually you have your arms out and it's called the trust fall because you're going to have your arms out and you're going to be the one trusting and you're going to fall, right? Just fall backwards. And someone's supposed to be standing behind you with their arms ready to catch you, right? Well, my friend who likes to do random things just decided he would start doing random trust falls without announcing them, right? So we could be at Burger King, we could be in the backyard, we could be in the garage with a concrete floor, and he'll just be like, trust fall, <laughs> and start to fall, right? And so because we're his friends and we care for him and we don't want him to bust his head open, we would run and, you know, try to catch him and... Sometimes we'd catch him and like, man, you're a jerk. And then other times we wouldn't catch him and he would commit to it and just fall. The thing about trust fall is that it's this classic team building, trust building exercise. And the reason it builds trust is because if you're the one falling, you cannot see that person behind you. You can't see them at work. You can't tell ahead of time if they're actually going to catch you. When you fall backwards, you don't know if their hands are going to be up here, if they're going to wait till you're right here to get to the very bottom, or if they're just going to be a jerk and back away, let you fall. The thing that builds trust in a trust fall is that you have the opportunity to believe when you can't see how it's going to work out. In the end of this gospel, Jesus has something to say about believing and seeing. In John chapter 20, Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's risen again from the dead, and he comes to visit his disciples in a room, and they they see the resurrected Lord, and they're just so amazed. But one of his disciples, Thomas, one of the twelve, is not there. And Jesus leaves, Thomas comes back, they say, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. And they were actually right. Thomas, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is risen from the dead, we've seen him. And he said, Thomas says, you're, I'm not, I'm not going to believe that until I can see the scars in his hands and see the hole where they pierced his side. I'm not going to believe. Right? So they all believe because they've seen, but Thomas doesn't believe. A week goes by and this time all the disciples are in a room together and Thomas is there and Jesus, the resurrected Lord shows up and he looks at Thomas and says, Thomas, see the scars in my hands. See the hole in my side. Come here, you can touch. And Thomas looks at him and says, My Lord and my God. See, he believed that Jesus was God in the flesh when he saw him. And Jesus says to him something profound. He says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas saw him and believed, but Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. And if you're in here today and you're a Christian, that is you. 
Jesus is talking about you right there. Because you haven't seen Jesus, you haven't seen the body of the resurrected Lord, but you are blessed today because even though you haven't seen Him, the Holy Spirit has moved in your heart and the faith that God has given us has been awakened. And even though you haven't seen Him, you believe in Him. And you know that He is the Savior of the world, that He is the Son of God, that there's life in His name. Amen? But sometimes there's a tension between believing in Him, we believe who He is, and then actually trusting and obeying His Word. Trusting and obeying what He says. We can believe, we haven't seen Him, we still believe in Him, but sometimes it's hard to really, uh, when the rubber meets the road, to really take Jesus at His Word, like this passage talks about. What do I mean? You're a Christian, and then all of a sudden a difficult situation comes up. Maybe it's an unforeseen tragedy. Maybe it's a problem in your marriage, or in one of your closest relationships, or your friendships. Or maybe it's a need that's just a glaring need in your face, and you need a miracle for it to work, or it's not going to work. And in those moments, even though we believe in Jesus, sometimes it's really hard to take Him at His word. To really trust Him that He's working together all things for our good. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's not a difficult situation. Maybe it's just the words of life that Jesus gives us to live. You know, Jesus has, has a, a set of teachings that are meant for our good. But sometimes they sound a little off. You know, even though we believe in Him. You know, Jesus said, love, L-O-V-E, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He says, you want to talk about forgiving someone? You need to pray like this. God, forgive me just like I forgive the people who did wrong to me. Woo! That's tough. When we hear words of Jesus that lead to life, sometimes our response is, well, if I just forgive them, how are they ever going to learn their lesson? You know, it's God's going to punish you and He's going to use my fist. Hallelujah. So sometimes it's a difficult situation, but sometimes it's just the words and the teachings of Jesus himself. And I don't just mean forgiveness. What about giving generously from the first fruits? So from the first income that comes in, Jesus and his word says to give to those in need, to give to the church. But sometimes we think and we get caught on this trap. I do it. If I give from the first of what comes in, I mean, before I pay my rent, before I pay my bills, how is there going to be enough left over? How does that work? That's fuzzy math. Jesus. Jesus says, don't be anxious about the clothes you will wear or the food you will eat. And yet, in my heart, sometimes, you know, if I don't get the clothes I want, how am I going to have the reputation or the status that I want? How am I going to get to control how I'm perceived? All throughout the Bible, Jesus says over and over to avoid sexual immorality, that God has created sex as a good thing in the context that He's created for it, and everything outside of that context is not a good thing and not endorsed by God. And yet we come to the words of Jesus and we come to the Bible and we say, you know what? It's, ah, it's a little outdated. It's a little outdated. I don't really think that I'm really going to fully be a person that God's uh, created me to be if I'm saving that for marriage. But sometimes we feel like God's word is going to happen like a trust fall gone wrong. 
Like he's just setting us up to fall on his word and he's just going to step back, let us fall. Sometimes there's a tension between believing him and actually trusting and obeying him. But today with the passage today, I want to, I want us to see a few truths. There's a lot of truth in here, but I do want to boil it down to some truths that we can that we can handle. And I believe that as we look at the Word of God in John chapter 4 today, we're going to find that there is life in His Word. You'll find that there's life in His Word when His Word is in your life. There is life in His Word, and you're going to find that, and you're going to experience that when His Word is in your life, when we can take Him at His Word. Amen? So first, so that first point. Life is in His Word. You know, you guys are welcome to keep your Bibles open because we're going to refer to this story a lot. But in the passage, we see that Jesus has gone from Judea to Galilee. And if you heard last week, we talked about he went through Samaria. So a little bit of geography. As he's gone through this progression, he says, Jesus, Jesus says, a prophet has no honor in his home country. So according to scripture, basically home country, he was considering Judea and Galilee and Samaria in between the Jews of his day thought was inferior and they didn't even go through there. That was not his home country. So if you remember this, and it says that the Galileans who greeted him were the ones that saw him at the Passover in Judea. So Jesus is going from home country where they, they saw miracles and said they believed in him, but he said, I'm not entrusting myself to this faith. Then he goes through Samaria where it's where it's not his home country and he didn't do big miracles and many people came to him and said, I believe that he's the savior of the world. That was not his home country, didn't do many miracles and people believed in him as the Messiah. And now he comes back to his home country again, to Galilee. It says it's the same people who saw him at Jerusalem who just saw miracles and said they believed but didn't really believe in who he said he was didn't really latch on to his teaching and he says a man has no prophet has no honor in his own country and as he comes into galilee he goes to cana where he turned the water to wine in chapter two and a royal official who has a son who has a very very serious need he's on his deathbed he's about to die and this royal official hears that jesus is coming to town And he goes to see him. Now, I want you to know that the royal official came from Capernaum and Jesus is in Cana. And this is not just like a 10 minute walk or a drive across town. This is 20 to 25 miles. So this is a day's journey that this royal official who has many servants decides to go in person, not send a servant or a delegation, goes in person to Jesus and says, my son is sick. I believe you can heal him. Will you come heal him? Jesus does not answer his request. He does not go with him to heal him, but we'll get in that a little bit later. But what Jesus does give him is says, you may go, your son will live. You may go, your son will live. And we know this is a focal point of this passage because just in a span of three verses, he repeats the same phrase. In verse 50, Jesus says, your son will live. In verse 53, when the man is retelling the story, he says, your son will live. And so we know the Bible is telling us there's something important here. And I don't want to skip over this revelation. That the power to heal is in the words of Jesus. That Jesus is the source 
and the giver of life. When we come to Jesus, we come to the giver of life. You see, the word he says to the man, when he says, your son will live, it's not a prediction. He's not saying, you know what, I, I think he's going to get better. It's not a prophecy. He's not saying, you know what, give it six months and I'm going to say, yeah, he'll be alive in six months. He's not guessing. He's not making an educated guess. He's not predicting. He's delivering a word that can heal. That a boy, all of a sudden, a boy who's dying, who's on his deathbed, 25 miles away, who Jesus didn't see or meet, Jesus says, your son will live. And at the same hour, the passage says, seventh hour, 1 p.m. in the afternoon, whatever was dead in that boy that was bringing him towards death began to become alive. When we come to Jesus with the situations in our life, you're in a difficult situation that I mentioned earlier. You're in need of a miracle. There's trouble in your relationship. When we come to Jesus, we have to see that we're not coming to just a teacher. We're not coming to just a philosopher, not just a great person in history, but we're coming to the source of life. We're coming to the source of life. I think one of the passages that sums it up best, uh, John chapter one, is that you know we did our first sermon in the series on this. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And as soon as it comes up, I'm going to read it. In the beginning was the Word. Everyone say, that's Jesus. Oh, come on. Let's hear it. That's Jesus. All right. All right. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with... Hallelujah. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When we come to Jesus, He is the giver of life. There is life in His words. There's not a thing in existence in this world, not the trees, not the ocean, not the stars in the sky that didn't come to existence through Jesus, the Bible says. Not just through an invisible God that we can't see, but through a God who came to us and visited us in flesh and gives us His word of life. Amen? So in the same situation in the story, it doesn't matter if you feel distant doesn't matter how distant you feel, Jesus can speak a word of life into your soul. It doesn't matter how dire the circumstance. Just like the boy was on his deathbed and Jesus spoke a word and life was channeled. That's the same God we serve today. And when we come to his word, when we come to the word of God, that's the same life we're coming to today. Amen. When He says something, when He gives us an instruction about how to live our lives, about how to forgive others, about how to give to others, 
whatever it may be. When he gives us that instruction, it's not because it's random or arbitrary or he thinks it'd be nice to give us extra rules. It's because it's what is actually not just good, but best for our lives. Jesus' way is the best way for our lives. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, 103, How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Because there's life in His Word, we can take Him at His Word. Amen? Alright, so everyone got that point? Alright, cool. So you always are going to go to Him for life. It's great. So because we know that He is the source of life, that He is the one that makes a way out of no way. After all, He's the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. How much more can He speak into the situation in your life? How much more is He able to make a way out of no way if He can make existence out of non-existence? Amen? It's the same God we serve. So because there's life in His Word, we can take Him at His Word. That's the second point about having His Word in your life. So back to the passage. Jesus is comparing two different types of faith. Right? So He said a prophet has no honor in his own uh, country. And... He basically is comparing a faulty, fickle faith that says, show me and I'll believe. To a persistent, obedient faith that believes and then sees. How do we see that in the passage? Like we said, he is no honor in his own country. He says this when, when, when the man has a measure of faith and comes to him and says... Please heal my son. Please come with me and heal my son. Jesus says an interesting statement. He says, unless you see miraculous signs, you will never believe. Sounds kind of harsh, right? The son's on his deathbed. And all he asks is, will you come with me and heal my son? And Jesus makes this statement about, you're not going to believe unless you see. Right? Well, if you, the, the word, the, the Greek word for you there is Plural. And Jesus is doing what we see him do a lot. He's not just speaking to the man, but he's speaking to the crowd around. Another translation says, unless you people see miraculous signs, you will never believe. He's referring to this faith that says, show me. And I believe as long as you're showing me miracles. Versus a faith that says, I believe in who you are and what you say. And if you say to go home... If you're not going to answer the prayer that I asked, but you tell me to go home and he's going to be, oh, okay, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to start walking 25 miles back home. I don't think it's an accident that this story happened in Cana of Galilee. And this is the second miraculous sign that Jesus did. But the first one was in Cana of Galilee where he turned the water to wine. And the kind of faith that they had there was not, all right, turn the water to wine and then I'll take it to the master of the banquet to taste. No, it was, we're out of wine. This is a huge disgrace. And Jesus says, um, fill the pots with water. The servants go do it. Take that to the master of the banquet. So they can't see how it's working. He doesn't give them knowledge of how it's going to happen. But they take it and it's the best wine for the whole party. We all tracking? You guys seeing it? So the man has already shown a measure of faith. He's already walked 20 to 25 miles himself, a day's journey to get there and to say to Jesus, I believe you can heal my son. Will you come with me to heal my son? 
Jesus says, unless you see miracles, you won't believe. And the man proves them wrong, right? He's not phased by that. Please, just come with me and heal my son before he dies. And Jesus says, you may go. Your son will live. And at that point, the man has a choice. Jesus hasn't answered his request. It's not going to go the way he had it planned in his mind. When he first said he had faith. When he said in his heart, I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to ask him and he's going to come heal my son, hopefully. That's my hope. That's not going to happen. Jesus is not going to walk with him on the road home and comfort him the whole way. He's not going to go into his house and meet his son face to face. He's not going to get to pray over his son with Jesus. It's not happening how he believed it would happen, but he has a choice. Because Jesus gave him a promise, your son is going to live, and he gave him an instruction. Go. So he has a choice. He can either flail his arms and be like, well, I tried. Jesus isn't, it's not answering it the way I thought it was going to go. I guess I'm going to go home, but I'll hit the bar first. Give me a long walk home. No, what does it say? It says he believed Jesus and departed. NIV says he took Jesus at his word. When he had nothing else, when it wasn't going how he thought it would look, when he couldn't see the miracle, when he couldn't see God's provision or Jesus at work, when all he had was his word, he took his word. That was enough. Amen? The instruction didn't make sense. I can't see him at work, but he believes and obeys and takes him at his word. You and I have the same choice today. You and I have the same choice. When we're faced with a difficult situation, when we're faced with a problem that we can't see being resolved, when we're faced with a need, a sickness, a miracle that has to come through, and we don't know how it's going to work, Jesus says to come to him as the source of life. He gives us promises and instruction. And we can either wait till he shows us something and then believe it. Or we can step out on faith. Take him at his word. And obey him. You know, for the faulty, fickle faith that Jesus is talking about, seeing is believing. But for the faith that he points out and highlights in this passage, in this story, believing is seeing. Believing is obeying Jesus and seeing Him over the long term. Be faithful, more than faithful. Work a miracle that no one had ever seen. You mean He healed the guy from 25 miles away when He said something to you? Whew, that's right. <laughs> we can do the same thing. When we read the words of Jesus, when we read the Bible... And we see his instructions for our life, these words of life. We can either argue with it or say, I don't see how that works out. I'm not really sure how God is at work in that. Or that seems kind of outdated. I'm going to do it this way. When it's not the answer that we had hoped for. When Jesus isn't coming through on the time schedule that we set out for him on our prayer and fasting schedule. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're going to believe and trust Him? Let's believe Him. Amen? Let's believe Him. Now, I think some 
I don't want anyone to, to be led astray. I think some may take what I'm saying or may look into this passage and, and, and take the implications out and start to preach a false gospel. That basically, if you need something from God, whatever you need, you can get it if you just trust Him enough and you obey Him enough. Whatever it is, He's going to make the situation turn out the way that you prayed, specifically the way that you prayed for. And, and, and it's going to turn out rosy if you just win Him over with your obedience and how strong your faith is. That's not the point. The point is about faith, but it's not that everything's going to be rosy. The point is not that everything's going to be rosy when you're a Christian. Not everything is going to go your way. People will get sick. People will pass away. You will get sick. One day you will pass away. Jobs may be lost. Homes may be lost. Friends may turn their back on you. Everything that can happen in life may possibly happen to you in your life. The message today is not that it's obeying Jesus makes everything rosy in this life. The point is... That whatever does happen in life, Jesus is the giver of life. And obeying Him will always lead to life. Whatever happens in your life, Jesus is the source of life. And obeying Him will always lead to life. Always. May not come when you want it. It may not make sense right now. It may not make sense a year from now. It may not make sense two decades from now. But trusting and obeying Jesus and His words will always lead to life. Amen? So we can take Him at His word. I want to tell a story um, that came to uh, my heart and mind as I was studying and preparing this week. And I hope you'll forgive me because it is a uh, kind of a personal story. A story from... Uh, from my uh, heritage and background, and I knew parts of it, but I didn't really fully hear it till this last Thanksgiving. Uh, and I was in Arkansas, and my whole family went to uh, the gravesite of my grandfather. My, uh, we called him Papa, but his name is Clement Clement Lyles. I know that's a little kind of a weird name, um, but uh, his name is Clement Lyles. And my uncle began to tell us this story about Clement. Um, and so story goes like this Clement was born in 1915 he was the middle sibling of 10 siblings to a poor uh, family in Arkansas that farmed their own land and just kind of eked out a living and he did not grow up as a Christian or a believer in the gospel um but uh, he was a good kid. He helped his mom. He kind of helped raise the younger siblings. And, uh, but they, they were very poor. Like uh, he told me growing up, they didn't use toilet paper. I don't know how that worked. Um, but they did something else. Um, he could remember. He could actually remember the first time he saw a car on the road. Right? So it was a different time. Right? But so he, he grew up in this time. And about um, his teenage years, 16, 17, um, he came down with osteoarthritis and he would get bouts of it that were so bad that his, all his joints would swell up and he couldn't, when it would get really bad, he couldn't walk around. 16-year-old, 17-year-old couldn't walk around, couldn't feed himself. His other siblings had to take care of him. 
And um, they did not go to church or weren't familiar with it. But he heard about a church that met on the other side of town, outside in the field, that believed that God still healed. They still believed in the power of the healing. And so he wanted to go. His dad, G.A. Lyles, was not a Christian, did not approve of Christians, didn't want to let him take the family wagon to go. But his brothers took it anyways. And they took him to this church service. And at the end of it, sure enough, the pastor said, does anyone want prayer for healing? And so uh, my papa, Clement, he says, I want prayer for healing. He gets his brothers to take him to the front and they pray for him. And immediately he's healed. He said you could hear the swelling going down like crackles and pops. And all of a sudden he begins to jump up and down and he has this experience in the spirit where he, where he speaks in, in another tongue. Um, and he just is just elated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And even though he was carried to the church service that night, he ran the main road home. And his life was changed. And not, not long after that, very soon after that, he, he began to be a part of that church. And he began to feel like God was calling him to ministry and calling him uh, to, to serve the Lord in preaching and doing that. And so he was faithful in obeying the Lord to do that. And, and um, as he began to do that, he saved up and he bought what was his very first and only white shirt he had ever owned at that point in his life button-down white shirt, and he saved it, and he just wore it on Sundays. Now, his dad, G.A. Lyles, I mentioned him earlier, was not a Christian, did not approve of this, and he had a very good reputation in the town. He was kind of a, a, a horse doctor, kind of veterinarian. He, he would you know, work on people's animals, and, and he also ran for county judge at one point. So he had a good public, uh, um, he had a good public reputation, but privately with his family, he was a hard man and he was abusive. Um, there was one time he kicked one of his, uh, one of my, one of Clement's brothers at the dinner table and broke his tailbone. Um, but he hated the fact that Clement was, was giving his life to serve the Lord and that he was going to be a preacher. And one day when he saw Clement walk home with the white shirt on that he had bought for church, he got a temper and he was angry and he pulled off a strip of leather from a watering trough that he had and it had some tacks in it. And he began to beat him. Began to beat the shirt off of his back until it was bloody and torn and not wearable ever again. And actually, as my uncle was telling the story, he, he, he skipped forward to when Clement was in his 80s and bedridden and they had, to, they had to bathe him. Those marks from when his dad, G.A., had beat him were still scars on his back 70 years later. From that day when he beat the shirt off of his back. And at that point in his life, he had a decision. God has called me. God has changed my life. He's called me to obey Him and to serve Him in ministry. But it's really hard. It may be hazardous to my health and my well-being if I obey what God has called me to do. He could have made a decision. This is too hard. This is not enough. I'm not going to do it. But you know what? He chose to obey God. He chose to continue to serve the Lord, to continue to pursue that. And so he, he, he continued to do that. And his father, G.A., continued to not approve of him living for the Lord, living for Jesus, and, and preaching. Fast forward a few decades. And Clement has a family now, has a wife and two kids. And he made a decision that even though his dad was a hard man to him, he was not going to do that in his family. He was going to show love to his sons. That's my dad and my uncle. 
He was going to teach them to love Jesus. He was a pastor. He was faithful to obey God in that calling. And G.A., his dad, never approved of it. Right? Well, then in the 50s, um, G.A. Um, came down with cancer. And it had metastasized and spread out all over his body. And it was pretty clear that it was going to be terminal cancer. And, and I know the treatments in that day were not anywhere near what they are in this day. But um, whatever he had had, the tumors or the sores, the cancer had actually eaten, eaten through the skin. All over his body. And the question was, who in the family is going to take care of G.A.? Who's going to bathe him? Who's going to give him his medicine? Who's going to tend to him every day? And you know who it was? It was his son, Clement, the pastor that he didn't approve of. And every day he would go and he would give him a bath and he would give him his medicine and he would take care of the man who had beat him for obeying what God had called him to do. And he still, he still, still hadn't turned his heart. But over the course of that, the cancer was terminal. And in the last year of his life, G.A.'s heart was finally softened by God. And he repented of his sins. And when he came to faith in Jesus, Clement, his son, was the one who got to lead him to faith. And when it came time to baptize him, he was too weak to be moved anywhere to be baptized. And so my uncle tells a story, but he remembers Clement went in, in there in the house and just filled the bathtub with water and took his dad And dipped him in the water and baptized him. And he passed away that year in 1955. And I thought of that story when I I see this passage. Because it says, he and all his household believed. Just like the man in the story only had a word from Jesus. And he made the decision, no matter what it takes, I'm going to obey. Even though I don't see how it's going to work out. I'm going to trust that he's at work. If it's a trust fall, I believe he's going to catch me. In the same way, I see that story of my papa and I'm inspired by that faith that Clement had. That even though it didn't make sense, even though it was a bad situation, even though when he was 17, there's no way he could have seen that 20 or 30 years later, he was going to lead his dad to Christ. The same one that had beat him for following Christ. There's no way he could have seen that. But the other thing it makes me think of is he and all his household believed. That's in the passage today. I want you guys to know that God... When God saved my, my grandfather, Clement, he saved our family from a long line of men who were abusive and who cheated on their wives and were alcoholics. And when God healed and saved my grandfather and he made a decision to trust God no matter how hard it was, you know, God did a work in my family that, that really all his household believed. I praise God growing up, every sibling Every cousin, every aunt and uncle and grandparent in my family was a believer in Jesus Christ. Because of that faithfulness to obey. There's no way he could have foreseen that. There's no way he could have foreseen that. Sometimes... um, Things in our life are really hard. And even though we believe in Jesus, we get to situations and we're forced to that question again. Am I going to obey him? Am I going to continue to trust? Am I going to believe what his scriptures say about how to live? 
am I going to believe in this situation that He will come through in His time and His way and it will lead to life? And it feels like that trust fall situation. It's like, all right, I can't see. I'm going to trust you. It can be a little uncomfortable, but we can trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus. I close with this. There was a time in a garden where Jesus was praying and said, Father, if it's your will, please let this cup pass from me. You see, a lot of times when we have a problem trusting Jesus, it's because we can't see the outcome and we don't know how it's going to turn out. We just have to trust what he says. And we have fears about what will happen if we believe him. And, and really, you know, our fears is that we're going to miss out on something or it's not going to go right. And, and our, really, our absolute worst fear is that we're going to die if I trust him. A lot of times it's more figurative, like this part of my life will die or this part of my relationship will die. But really the ultimate one is that I'm just going to cease to exist if I don't trust him. But you see, Jesus in the garden, see, we can't see the outcome, but Jesus in the garden saw the outcome. And he saw that it was the worst fear, that he was going to have to die. And he said, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And he went forward with the ultimate trust fall, even though he saw that the worst consequence was happening to him. And he took our sin on the cross. He took our death that we deserve. The Bible said he was obedient even to death. To death on a cross. He did that to take on our sins. And He was buried and He rose again on the third day to give us hope of life eternal that is not found anywhere else. It's not promised anywhere else. Jesus is the one who promises it and it secures it for us. We can trust Jesus as the giver of life because He took the worst outcome that we fear and He saw how it was going to pan out and still did it on your behalf and my behalf. So when we can't see the outcome, we know that He's faithful. Amen? Amen. When we can't see the outcome, when He doesn't answer how we think He's going to answer, when His Word doesn't say what we think it should say, we can still take Him at His Word. And watch Him work. Amen? Watch Him work. We have a great and unending hope for that. I'm going to pray and then we're going to um, partake communion. And when we do, we're going to celebrate this. The body of Christ broken for us. And the blood of Christ spilled, poured out for our sins. To atone for our sins that we could never atone for. And uh, we're going to partake in that and rejoice in the hope that He gives us of eternal life. And that He gives us the words of life. And, and as you're taking communion, I want you, if, if you go with your gospel community, I want you um, to think about what this may be in your life where Jesus is asking you right now to take Him at His word.
whether it's a difficult situation, you don't see how it's going to work out, or whether it's something that, that the Holy Spirit has convicted you about and you need to say yes to, and you haven't found the strength or the courage or the faith to say yes to it, I challenge you to share that with your group. And I challenge the, the people in your group and you as well to encourage one another with this truth that we've talked about today, that we can take Jesus at His word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that your love is showed to us in Jesus Christ. And I thank you that when Jesus uh, came to earth, Lord, that he revealed who you are and what you're like. Lord, in this story today, you revealed that you are the Son of God, that you are the source of life. And that there is life and healing in your name. And that the faith you are looking for is not faith from the right country but faith from the right heart that will trust you for who you are and obey and watch you work. I pray that you give us that faith. In Jesus' name, amen.